Welcome to the Global Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast. Please like and subscribe. Also visit us on social media, um, on Facebook, that's Global Seventh-day Adventist Church, or um, we also have Instagram, Goebbels Youth. Please check us out there. Also um, on our website, GoebbelsSDAChurch.org. Um, please uh, join and join us Sabbath mornings at uh, 9.30 a.m. for Sabbath school and 10 a.m. for church. Back about a hundred years ago, the great frontier was not Alaska, or it was not the moon, it was not Mars, it was Antarctica. And everybody was fixed upon Antarctica and finding out more about it. So in 1914, Sir Ernest Shackleton led out an expedition of 28 men Their goal was to cross Antarctica from one coast to the other, and as they did it, go through the South Pole. Sounds easy, I know. But Antarctica has uh, a lot of uh, peaks about 6,000 feet above elevation, and that's ice and snow. So it wasn't going to be easy, but that that was their challenge. As they approached Antarctica, they approached what anybody would approaching there, and it's called pack ice, which is a lot of frozen salt water floating around in big chunks. So it makes it really difficult, as you might imagine, to make your way. They did it very slowly. And they were in the pack ice for several weeks trying to make their way to Antarctica. When the winds changed and the wind was blowing the pack ice ashore, and packing it even more. And guess who got packed into the ice? Shackleton and crew. Their ship couldn't go forward, couldn't go backwards, nothing to do, but ride it out and wait for it to thaw. If they had been able to keep moving, they were within a day of shore. Now they had to watch and wait. The ship surgeon recorded in his journal Shackleton did not rage at all or outwardly show the slightest sign of disappointment. He told us simply and calmly that we must winter in the pack. He explained the dangers and the possibilities, never lost his optimism, and prepared for winter. But in private, he told the ship's captain who wrote it down that Shackleton said, The ship cannot live in this, Skipper. It may be a few months. It may be a few weeks. It might even be days. What the ice gets, the ice keeps. Well, the thought of escaping across to the mainland entered their minds, so they gave that a try. In one week, they covered seven and a half miles. They weren't anywhere close to shore. They gave up on that idea and went back to the ship. They decided to possess their souls with what patience they could, and they truly went with the flow because the ice was moving, and they floated hundreds of miles from the point where they got frozen in. 
10 months later, they saw some snow-capped peaks in the distance. Elephant Island is coming into view. In the meantime, their ship had been crushed to pieces, had sunk, and they had gotten on their lifeboats, and they'd been camping on the ice for 10 months. But now the ice parted. The stormy seas and the open waters coated them with freezing salt water. And after six days of rowing, they could see Elephant Island more clearly. It was only 30 miles away. One record said half of the crew were insane, but they all rowed and rowed until they were able to climb ashore Elephant Island, their first time on dry land in 497 days. They hadn't even started their project. They rested up for a week, and then they decided that six of the men would go get help. The rest would wait to be rescued. See what I mean about today's special music? The six who headed off for a whaling station only had 800 miles to go in an open lifeboat. So they battled huge waves, angry winds for the next 16 days. And finally, the winds eased up a little bit. And they came ashore, unfortunately, on the wrong side of the island where the whaling station was, that was their destination. Three of them decided to stay where they went ashore. Three of them decided to go across to the whaling station, which took them 36 hours of climbing and sliding, working their way over mountains and glaciers and waterfalls where nobody had ever been before. And so three waited to be rescued. 22 back on Elephant Island waited to be rescued. And Shackleton headed back for the rest of his men. But there was this pack ice, as you've heard about. And as they battled it, they realized there wasn't enough fuel to finish their project. So the ship went back. So we got a second ship and got within 100 miles and was beaten back by the ice, gave it up. Meanwhile, back at camp, 22 men were instructed to lash up and stow their belongings. The boss may come today. The record of August 16, 1916 has it. Some of the party have quite given up hope of the relief ship coming. There's no good deceiving ourselves any longer. Maybe some of you are getting tired of waiting to be rescued. It's been a while for some of you. My family's been looking for Jesus to come for a long time. I remember sitting by the uh, radio and listening to the news with my grandmother, and I've been a news addict ever since. But uh, she was always commenting on how the things that were going on in the world were signs that Jesus was going to come soon. And they were because there are a lot of signs, and there have been. Her father, my great-grandfather, believed Jesus was coming again, and he went to Union College soon after it opened in the 1890s to study to be a minister. So we go back a ways as Adventists in my family. I have a file folder that goes back quite a few uh, decades 
from meetings that I've attended, evangelists that I've worked with, articles that I put in there 50, 60 years ago, talking about how soon Jesus is going to come. And most of that stuff is getting pretty yellow. <laughs> it's been there a while. And like so many kids on a long trip, asking from the back seat, we're wondering, are we there yet? Are we almost there? You probably knew that the only Adventists in this area are not in this building today. Because most Christians do believe that Jesus is coming again soon. In a poll taken back in 2010, random people were asked if they thought Jesus could come by 2050. 27% were pretty sure he could. 20% said probably. Now, 28% said probably not that soon. 10% said definitely not. And 14% said, I don't know. They had no idea how soon Jesus could come. Now, we all realize that Jesus left heaven because of the sin problem to rescue us from this earth, to come to this planet, to die for us so that we could go to heaven. He's coming again very soon to take us to heaven. And that's why when Jesus was talking about heaven and talking about his second coming, they were almost in the same breath. And we could all quote it, but sometimes you get more out of it when you've got it in front of you, John 14, 1 to 3. And so we'll turn there and maybe possibly something that has been committed to memory all your life might have something even more as you look at it for just a moment. John 14, 1 to 3. <clears throat> Where Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That Where I am, there ye may be also. I understand that a lot of houses need to be built. In the world today. A lot of people needing housing, not enough housing to go around. But this is saying that there is a big housing project in heaven, and Jesus has built many mansions for you and for me. And he said, if, if it weren't that way, I would tell you, but there are many places, many houses, many rooms, and I'm going to prepare them for you. And if I go I will come again. Can you imagine what it would be if Jesus threw up his hands and said, eh, guess I won't go again. And all those houses sat empty for eternity? That wouldn't make sense. That would be a lot of wasted effort. The cross would have been a waste too, wouldn't it? The whole plan of salvation would have been a big waste, except that all of this comes true as he promised. So you're Adventists. 
not everybody are Seventh-day Adventists, but that's implied in the same chapter here in John 14. When you look in verse 15, Jesus goes on to say very simply, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I, I know about the Ten Commandments, and you do too. And we know that those commandments do include the Sabbath of the Fourth Commandment. Jesus went on to say in verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I love what the prophet Isaiah says about heaven and about the Sabbath all in one time. Isaiah 66, it's the last chapter of Isaiah. If you ever have trouble remembering how many books there are in the Bible, just go to Isaiah. He has as many chapters as there are books. Isaiah 66. And he wanted to make sure that the last thing he spoke about as he recorded the promises, the predictions of Christ coming once and twice. He wanted us to be sure of our heavenly home. Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants in your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. I'm glad we don't have to wait till heaven. We can start practicing now with these Sabbath worship sessions. How wonderful it'll be there. Some of us may have to learn how to worship God every month. The new moons. That might be something new to us. Hey, there will be a lot of stuff new to us in heaven. In fact, there will be a lot of folks who will keep Sabbath for the first time and say, this is great. Wished I'd experienced it on earth. By the way, did you know that our Muslim friends also believe Jesus is coming again? We have more in common with them than you might realize. And if, of course, you realize that most Muslims are not terrorists. They're good people who are expecting Jesus to come again the second time. The second coming is prominent in the Bible. Mentioned 300 times in the New Testament. Referred to or alluded to another 700 times in the Old Testament. It would seem that the second coming of Jesus is the most important thing that could ever happen. And the Bible is full of it. We might not like waiting, but I think it's worth waiting for, don't you? Now, how long is it going to be before Jesus comes? If only we knew. How long is long to God? Reading in what is rather a commentary about 
the fall of Satan and the problem of sin and how it originated in the book Great Controversy, I read that God in His great mercy bore long with Lucifer. So we're, we're trying to understand what, how long is with, with God because some of us have been waiting a long time for Jesus to come. He bore long with Lucifer. He wasn't immediately degraded from his exalted station when he first indulged the spirit of discontent. Nor even when he began to present his false claims before the loyal angels. Long was he retained in heaven. Again and again he was offered pardon on condition of repentance and submission. Such efforts as only infinite love and wisdom could devise were made to convince him of his error. And then a couple pages further, page 497, God in his wisdom permitted Satan to carry forward his work until the spirit of disaffection ripened into active revolt. It was necessary for his plans to be fully developed that their true nature and tendency might be seen by all. So if you think you've been waiting a long time for Jesus to come, just think a bit about how long God was working with Lucifer to try to keep him being expelled from heaven. I would imagine it was more than a day or a week. I imagine it was more than a few weeks. I'm even thinking it might have been more than a year. I don't know how long it was, but things just went from bad to worse. And God kept working with him and bore long with him. Sometimes he bears long with us here on this earth. Remember when he said in Genesis 6, my spirit shall not always strive with man. But he mentioned 120 years. And do you recall that Noah pled with the inhabitants of our world for 120 years to turn their hearts to God? And only eight people were saved? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? That was a long time to build a boat, a long time to wait. But that's the way it was. In Daniel's day, when God's people were nearly wiped off the face of the earth, we know very well that God sent a dream to the king of Babylon, Daniel 2, telling him how things were going to unfold on this earth, gave him a dream about this wonderful statue that represented the main nations of the world that would come and go. And the real focus was at the end of the vision where this rock like a meteor came hurtling out of the sky and hit the bottom of that statue and turned it basically into powder and fluff and it was gone and the rock became a mountain that filled the whole earth and that would last forever as a representation of God's kingdom his coming kingdom that would last forever now Everybody was wondering, how long is this going to be? How long before that kingdom takes root and God establishes his kingdom 
Everybody wondered how long will it be. The angels were wondering how long it would be. Daniel was wondering how long it would be. And so it was revealed to him in chapter 8, quite a bit later in his life, that there would be quite a span of time before all this took place. And during that span of time, the Messiah would come to this world. And they learned that, wonderful, he's coming, but they were going to have to wait 500 years. That's a long time to wait for the promised Messiah. But he was going to come, and he did. And then that time prophecy went way down into the future for Daniel's time. Way down into the 1800s. Now that's a long time ago for us, I know. But when you think about long in the whole picture... Not really that long ago that we came to what is called the time of the end. Not necessarily the return of Jesus, but the time of the end, the time when we were very close and Jesus was preparing for his second coming. Well, Jesus himself talked about his second coming a lot. And he wanted us to realize that it would be worth waiting for. Our text today in Luke 12 spoke of it. And I appreciate the reading of that. Luke 12, starting in verse 35. We'll look at that for just a little moment together. Luke 12. Thirty-five. When it says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning means be ready. Keep your clothes on, have your flashlights ready. Let's be ready to go. You yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself, have them sit down to eat, and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So it leaves us kind of dangling. Jesus is going to come at a time when maybe we're not expecting him, but he's coming. He's coming soon. Just how soon is soon. Matthew 24 has a record of some things Jesus said about his return as well. Matthew 24, 33 After speaking of a number of signs of the nearness of his return, he said, So when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Verse 36 again, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. 
Verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. There have been a lot of signs over the way that tell us we're getting closer. We don't know exactly when, but we know we're getting closer. We can see where we've been, and we know that we're getting closer to where we're going. Certainly wars, rumors of wars. I've heard something about that on the news this week, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Not even rumors, preparations for war. And I'll refer in a little bit to a war that had gone on for 50 years that recently has come to an end. Some really good news. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. I think we're doing pretty good for signs, don't you? That this world is getting old and tired and it's about time for a reboot or a remake, the recreation of it all together. The most encouraging sign that Jesus is coming soon is in verse 14 of Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. It's only in fairness that everybody gets a chance to get ready, a chance to know. And so he says, when you do see that happening, do you see that happening? I do. Let me give you a little report if you aren't aware of it. Maybe you've heard of the Wycliffe Bible Translators. They started about the same time our story from Shackleton started. It was 1917, and a... a Man was in Guatemala wanting to help these people know about Jesus. He was selling Spanish Bibles. And lo and behold, he found that lots of the people there in Guatemala don't speak Spanish. They have a local language called Cacachil or something like Cachaquil. I bet I'm ruining it. Anyhow, he was selling them Bibles that they couldn't read or understand. He said, well, that won't do. How can they know Jesus? if they can't learn about him in a book that is in their language. So he went back home, started a group that would work on that, and they got it done in 30 years. They didn't have computers. But in 30 more years, no, no, that took 30 years. In 50 more years, they had Bibles in 500 languages that they didn't have before. But that only left people who needed Bibles who spoke about 2,000 other languages. So they kept working. Today there's only 1,800 translations that need done so that people can read the Bible in their own language, their own tongue. 
And they're hoping that by 2025, they can at least have started in each of these. So they believe that for Jesus to come again, they need to get Bibles in people's hands, and they're working feverishly at it. And I'd say we need to pray for the Wycliffe Bible translators and encourage them. The Adventists started getting into telling the gospel to the world in a big way back in 1929 with a man named HMS Richards Sr. who said, I'm going to go on the radio with this news about Jesus' second coming. So the voice of prophecy began back then. And hey, they're, they're trying to reach the world. They've got Bible study lessons available in 70 languages. And they're working hard. So as it is written that Adventist television ministry that started back in 1956, which I was young, but I remember seeing George Vandeman on TV and it was impressive. This was the first Christian broadcast in color. Love that color TV. So much better than the black and white. So it is written has been working to get the gospel out to the world all these years. Back in 96, they started a ministry of reaching out with satellite and taking, taking the gospel by satellite. At that time, they were reaching 45 countries in 13 languages. And so they are still doing their thing. Amazing Facts, another television ministry which began in 1965 and continues today on networks like Daystar, Lifetime Network, Trinity Broadcasting, The World Network, Safe TV, 3ABN, The Hope Channel, MeTV in Israel, Good News TV in India, Lifestyle TV in Scandinavia. They're reaching 2.3 billion households worldwide on a weekly basis with their ministry. That was nice that we had an offering for them today, wasn't it? They're doing what Jesus said would be the final thing that's done before he comes again. Um, 3ABN, amazing story. If you don't know how it got started, you need to check it out. Been operating since 1984. Then just, hmm, nine years after they started, they actually began... Uh, with their own programming and their own station in Russia, 1993, where today they are producing Russian language programs and airing on 150 TVs, stations, and three satellites across the former Soviet Union. Hope Channel, it has just another year to go, and it'll be 20 years on the air, the official sponsored channel of television by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, now programming in 80 languages around the world, not to mention Adventist World Radio, which is reaching people who don't have TVs, and they're not supposed to listen to certain radio stations, certainly not Christian ones, but, but they can through Adventist World Radio. And if you didn't know Adventist World Radio put up a station on Mindora Island in the Philippines five years ago, 
And boy, did it pay off. There had been a war going on there for 50 years between the communists, assassins, rebel groups. And because they heard the gospel on Adventist World Radio, they realized that there was a better way and a better life. And they've put down their weapons and they've called a truce. And at this point, over 15,000 people among those rebels and communists have given their lives to Jesus and been baptized into the Adventist church. So if you didn't know about that, you need to go on YouTube and ask them more about it. Adventist World Radio, it's one of their reports. So the gospel is going to all the world. Then the end will come. So we need to do everything we possibly can to get the good news out. So how long do we have to wait? Well, I realize it's a little past noon, but we're almost done here. James 4, 13. I want to share that with you. How long must we wait? James, always practical, has these words to share with us. James 4.13 Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What he is saying is, none of us know what tomorrow holds. It's wonderful to be alive today. We're not guaranteed that we will be tomorrow. And if that is the case, then we're not waiting for Jesus to come anymore. We're just resting because he's going to come the next thing we know. So, yeah, in his mercy, Jesus may let some of us rest. So we won't have to wait any longer anyway. But be ready for his return. And what a blessing it will be to open our eyes and realize he's here. Yes, it was worth waiting for. Now, why would God wait? 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. And this is the last verse I'm referring to today. Just back a little further. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so time lasts a little longer, because God isn't willing for anybody to perish. Got, he has to get the news out, give everybody a chance to be ready. Shackleton tried to get back to his 22 men a number of times. His first two attempts did not make it. Finally got a boat called the Yelcho from Chile. The ice was still pretty thick, but he kept pushing closer and closer to Elephant Island. 
And all of a sudden, unexpectedly, the ice opened up and he made his way to shore. And believe it or not, within one hour, the men were on the board of that ship and they were out of there. One hour. Any delay, the ice could have come back together, crushed their boat, dumped them all in the freezing water. Shackleton's men had waited 128 days for him to come. Nathalia, aren't you glad you sang rescued? When he was sure that they were beyond danger and the tension died down a little bit, he asked one of them, well, you were packed and ready, weren't you? Yes, we never lost hope. We believed you'd come for us, even though the circumstances were unfavorable. You had promised, and we expected you. So each morning we rolled up our sleeping bags and packed all our equipment so we might be ready. Boy, were they glad to be homeward bound. Glad they'd been prepared every day. So 20 months after setting out for the Antarctic, everybody was safe and alive and headed home. And we're headed home too, folks. Jesus wants to rescue every last one of us and take us home safe and sound. He would have us live like he's coming today and plan like it could be a few days. When he knew that people were thinking that he was about to set up his kingdom, he had another story. And I told you I wouldn't make you look up any more verses, so I'll just share it with you. It's in Luke 19, it's verse 12 and 13. Certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. That's what we're doing today. Doing business till he comes. Being about our father's business, like he told his parents he needed to be doing when he was 12. Second to the last verse of the Bible, Jesus says, surely I'm coming quickly. So I guarantee you we're almost home. I just don't know how close. But we can make it a priority to be ready every day, can't we? Encourage others to do the same. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.